Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. You know what happens when two things you really love collide? Absolute magic. That is what we are talking about today. And today, magic comes in the form of a book called A Place for Us. You may not know, and if you don't know, where have you been? Sarah Jessica Parker has recently launched SJB for Hogarth. If you don't know, Hogarth is the home started by Virginia and Leonard Wolfe that houses some of the biggest literary talent in the world and in history. If I was to say to you, Anne Tyler, Jeanette Winterson, Gillian Flynn, Margaret Atwood, Joan Nesbo, Edward St. Alban and Howard Jacobson, I would only be naming a few. Sarah Jessica Parker is part of the Hogarth editorial team now in New York, and she acquires and curates works of fiction that reflect her own taste as a reader. A Place for Us is her first find. Fatima Farin Mirza's debut, A Place for Us, has taken the literary world by storm, and quite rightly. It captures an Indian Muslim family as they prepare for their eldest daughter's wedding. But as Hadiya's marriage, one chosen of love and not tradition, gather the family back together, there is only one thing on their minds. Can Amar, the estranged younger brother of the bride, be trusted to behave himself after three years away? It's a story that examines love, identity and belonging up close. And we got the wonderful author and vlogger Jen Campbell in the studio to ask Sarah Jessica Parker why she fell in love with this book. So I'm here with Sarah Jessica Parker. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, I finished reading A Place for Us yesterday and I was thinking, I'm not sure if I'm ready to talk about it yet because I might just start crying. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Um, oh, I'm so um, thrilled to hear you say that. I think that, of course, but of course. it's more important that others <laughs> that others think that. Um, have you found that, we'll get on to talk about the book in a minute, but have you found that that reaction has been the case, that people are really having very strong reactions to the book? Yes, yeah. um, and so deserving for Fatima, but everybody has been so in- enthusiastic, but also, um, like yourself, have conveyed how um, deeply moved they mm. were by the book. I think, in particular, the last section on Rafiq, yeah. you know, his story, finally understanding who he is, um, so beautifully crafted and um, such kind of an interesting kind of gut punch to really, yeah. you know, explore his humanity Mm. to better understand who you know any good book that really wants to explore culture Mm. and um faith and what that does and how it sometimes is liberating and sometimes it's it's limiting Mm. um the way she chose to uh shape the book that last section really is uh it's a doozy. I mean, it's. I think it's beautifully done and, and deeply painful, but also a great relief. Mm, absolutely. Let's take a step back and okay. look at this as a whole. So A Place for Us is the first book um, in your new role as editorial director as uh, SJP for Hogarth. Um, so where, where were you when you first read this book? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember exactly. Um, we had just lost the first book that I had really gone after. And... Um, I was really disappointed. I, I understood it completely, and I think the book is wonderful, and I'm <laughs> looking forward to supporting it. Um, but I, you know, it was like a real gut punch, and, and I, you know, you sort of have to um, 
you know, you have to be resilient and, like, you know, be very, you know, this is a process. And I was, like, you know, all that. Um, but books are so personal as well. I mean, it's not like it's something that you think are okay about. You really invest in something you read like Yeah, that, right? and you don't know if you're going to, what are the odds of feeling that way again? Yeah. Um, and and not long after that, uh, two submissions came in simultaneously, um, Fatima's and Claire Adams. And um, I was 30%, I mean, I was not very far into Fatima's manuscript and reached out immediately to Lindsay and Molly um, and said, "What? what is this, this miraculous, <laughs> um, beautiful, singular story? And, you know, what are the odds? How do we go after this? And... I felt strongly, and 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 the the deeper we read, and we were already into conversations because it was happening so quickly. Mm. Um, we all recognized that that this manuscript um, was very worthwhile, and that I knew that she was a very exciting, important new american voice powerful american voice mm. and she's only 26 and she's only 26 yeah. yeah and she's been writing this book for eight years is that right yeah yeah she has such an interesting background i really hope you get to talk to her and meet her because um i hope so I her hope so. her her journey as a writer is you know i think all journeys as writers like how do they arrive when we come to know them what you know what happened yesterday never mind six <laughs> or seven years ago um and hers is equally interesting um and yes, she's been working on it since she was about, what, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And she just shared something with me the other day, which I didn't know, which I can't believe. And this sort of tells you a teeny bit about Fatima, is that she said, I'm going to give myself, I think this is so charming, I'm going to give myself 10 years to write this book. And I was like, wow, that's very unusual because... Well, she said that when she was 18. When she was 18, she said, I am going to give myself 10 years to write this book. Now... What I find so striking about that is she obviously she can't speak for her whole generation, but very few people say, I'm going to give myself 10 years to achieve the success that I define, right? That yeah, whatever yeah. I define as my success. Everyone's like, I give this job a year. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I give it six months. It's a very unusual person who says, I'm going to give, I'm going to devote 10 years of my life, whatever sacrifice that means, I just found that strangely mature mm. and wise and patient and... Um, it's very Hadia. Isn't it? Yeah. It, it, because it doesn't, that's saying I'm taking, I'm, I'm offering a decade of my life with no security, no insurance, there's not, there's no guarantee of Mm-mm. what this will bring, except the exercise of doing this. And, um, and she did it, by the way. Yeah, she fitted. She did it under her deadline. Yeah, um, of ten years. Um, but I just think, like, I sort of find that very un-American in a way. You know, like that's not the way we typically look at things. You're, you're, you, one is usually in a much, fur, much further along in their life to give themselves 10 years. Mm. Um, Everything is so fast-paced. You must do things now. Yeah, Yeah. there's such this um, emphasis on success in our country, which I I don't think is always bad, but what does success mean and how are people defining it? And, you know, often it's about money and fame or being known. And 
I don't know. I'm not. I think that her her um, this endeavor is a is a very deep process. It's a slow process. It's just admirable. I think mm. like. I would be very proud if my daughter or son said, you know, I'm going to take 10 years to write. I'm going to give myself 10 years to write a book that I think is really good. Yeah, is worth that 10 <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. And you can tell that in her writing. The writing is so rich and every detail is is so intricate. She isn't scared of spending a couple of pages on one scene, but it's not something no. you're reading thinking, oh my goodness, get on with it. You're like, no, 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 I'll stay here. Yeah. I will stay here in this moment for however long you want me to stay it's here. It's funny, I only just started reading, um, I just started reading Philip Roth this year. Mm. I, when I was little, I think I read Goodbye Columbus, but I had not read the big, you know, Zuckerman and all that stuff. Mm. And so I, my husband's read every Philip Roth book. His best friend has read every Philip Roth book so I was actually in Memphis at the winter conference you know which is our big independent bookseller mm. conference and it was a big deal and we were invited to be there and I was there and I was panicking like I am gonna run out of books while I'm here which is <laughs> crazy because I didn't know there was a room filled with books but so I said to my husband before I left you you know what Philip Roth I'm ready to start the like the, the canon and so he consulted with his best friend and they decided I should start with American Pastoral so I was happy to begin, and I was just like, holy, holy cow. Um, this is confidence. Like, when you read Philip Roth, you recognize a writer of supreme confidence who can, to your point, go in, abandon plot, and just dig in, and know that he can hold on to that reader wherever he goes. And Fatima makes some similar choices. Now, she is a very different writer than mm. Philip Roth, but she also goes deep in. She burrows, 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 and then she, you know, then she, she comes back. She doesn't take you so far away that you don't know where you are or what happened plot-wise. You know, the pipe is still there. But that's a sort of, um, that's a kind of experience that, you know, young writers don't typically have. They really want to stay with plot. Mm. They want to make sure that the reader never feels abandoned or lost. Um, but she does, and she doesn't lose you, and she no. really trusts herself. And, and was, by the was, way, a great editor. Okay. Lindsay Sagnet, great editor, and Parissa. But that's exactly the word I was going to use, trust. I trust her. I trust her to take me somewhere brilliant. And I will trust her for whatever book she writes me next, too. even if it takes another 10 years. I that's know. okay. I will allow She's it. She's the Donna Tartt. I'm realizing Donna yes. does that, right? Yes. I was just realizing that. Jeez, you're... Uh, wow. I didn't realize that until now. Yeah. <laughs> and let's move back further than that. Let's talk about your relationship with books. Okay. Because that, that goes... I mean, I think for most people, that goes back way back to the yes. beginning. Am I right in thinking that your mother was a nursery school teacher and your father was a journalist? Is that is that correct? Um, a version of that. Yeah. That's pretty... That's cl close. That's close. Okay, um, good. And not bad at all. The internet um, is sometimes wrong. No, no, so no. I no. Check it danced things. around truth for a change. Yeah. Um, so my mother was an educator. Yeah. She taught... Um, Early in her career, she taught. Um, she taught second grade. Um, she was teaching in the foothills of Appalachia in southeastern Ohio. So her students were seven years old, but they were also eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen year olds who had not had proper school um, experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
so uh, that informed a lot of um, who yeah. she is as a parent. Later in life, after her children were mostly grown, she had her own um, preschool, and that, that did focus on two- and three- and four-year-olds. Um, and my father actually um, graduated from the Ira Writers Workshop, just like Fatima, okay. our writer. Um, and he was a poet, actually. He started the American Poetry Review, and, um, and then he was uh, briefly a journalist um, and ultimately a businessman, funnily enough. Um, but certainly both parties influential in my life and because my mother raised us my parents were divorced when I was Mm. about 18 months old um my mother has from the time she was a very young girl been a reader um you know like a really greedy (laughs) insatiable um she's decadent in the time she gives to reading and so that I would say in some ways almost more than anything else was the greatest influence she's played in all of her children's lives. And what was your relationship then, your relationship with books when you were younger? Can you remember key moments where you perhaps read something? Because I think that, especially with physical books, you associate that book with a specific time and place. Do you have memories like that that you can share? Yeah, the, the one thing I've not been able to do, and I feel like, oh, I should just make some titles up. Yeah, do you? I just, just lie. <laughs> I've not been able to say, because, you know, for obvious reasons, I've been asked a lot to talk about those early titles. I can't actually tell you specifically. I think... Are um, they more of a happy haze? Yeah, Yeah. they are. They are like a happy... And this is what's weird, too, is that they're not just a haze. They're very specific. So, as I've shared, my mother was a reader. Mm. The rule in our house was you never left the house without something to read. But that meant even if you couldn't read. Like, you actually left the house with a book, even if you couldn't read. And my mother always made us go to museums on the weekends and stuff, and she would take us to the symphony and to the Philharmonic. And um, she said it didn't matter if you couldn't read. You look at a book, and you make up the story based on the images or the illustrations. And then she would say... Yes, of course a museum is boring when you're five. <laughs> so find a bench and bring a book. And while I'm looking around, you know, she'll mm. check in. She didn't just abandon her children <laughs> on a random bench. But it was, a, I think, very clever. Now, at the time, it felt punitive to always... We didn't have a television, so, mm. you know. Um, but when we did learn to read, and, and, and a lot of us were early readers, I could think just by osmosis, like just yeah. being around it. And I'm one of eight kids, so there's three older and four younger. I think when you have older siblings, you often just follow along and pick up oh, yeah. their habits. And by the time I could read, I had established a relationship with books that was given to me. And then at a certain point, it just became my own. Mm. Um, by the time I was really working in New York um, I started working in Cincinnati when I was about 8 as an actor but by the time I came to New York and I was going on subways to auditions and waiting in hallways for auditions and backstage doing plays and the dark quiet um, wing space of a theater I was just reading on my own yeah. and and I mean I can you know tell you I went through all the Judy Bloom books you know um, I think one of the most important titles for me was a book that I'm not sure people here are familiar with, but it's a book called um, 
the mixed up files of Miss Basil E. Frank Wilder. Do you know no, that book? No, I don't know that one. No. Oh my God, it's the greatest book. <laughs> it's a book about um, two sips, two siblings who live just outside New York City in like a bedroom commuter um, mm. area. It's Greenwich, Connecticut. Actually, it's actually a quite affluent town um, right outside the city. It's on the Metro North um, line. And the older daughter decides um, that there is too much injustice in her home. She, I think she's like 12. <laughs> and that she can no longer stand it. And, and she's going to make a statement and she's going to leave and run away. And she elects, I think she selects her maybe youngest or middle brother to come with her because he's saved the most money. And they're gonna, they move into the Metropolitan Museum of Art and they live oh, wow. there. And it's the greatest book. And they, they um, hide at night and then they sneak into the fountain in the morning and collect change. Um, don't you think that is one of just the biggest dream that you have when you're younger as well that you could do something like that I remember my favourite film was called The Greatest Store and it was about a family that lived in a department store oh and every God. night when it closed they would just run around oh trying out God. everything <laughs> like, perfect I know yeah. exactly yeah. absolutely um, so anyway so mm. those books among many others I think they just you know I think I don't know I think we were fortunate in that, you know, we all inherit things from parents. Some is nature, some is nurture. Mm. And in the case of all of us, my mother's reading, we we really did, it became involuntary. It was like yeah. involuntary and willful, like both. And um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a huge part of my life. It's... It's as, you know, you wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you read. Like, you leave the house and you read. You get on the subway and you read. And um, I'm so grateful, Mm. you know, um, for her being so diligent about that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, when we think about storytelling, because even if someone isn't a reader, I think storytelling factors into all areas of our lives. It's We're constantly forming narratives to try and understand ourselves and the people around us and our family history. And did you find that your love of reading fed into your love of acting as well? Because obviously it's about... Completely. ...taking on someone else's life. Absolutely. I mean, reading is... For me, it's about escape, really. It's about being transported elsewhere, the unfamiliar, the unknown. What does a village you know, in Pakistan smell like, like, what is that? You know, what are those people? What's the, what is the, what are, what is the food they're eating or Mm. the way they have to dress or what is that fabric someone's describing? And sometimes like I'll be literally busted by people. I'll say like, Oh my God, it was so amazing because the way they described, you know, Copenhagen is so, it was like, you've never been to Copenhagen. You don't know, you know, (laughs) but I was like, aha, but that's how great the writer (laughs) That's yeah. how great that skillful that writer is. You're convinced it's so detailed and the image is so strong and the smells are so apparent and the touch, like all those senses are so fulfilled that mm. you do think you are certain that he or she has described Copenhagen in this <laughs> yeah. one restaurant perfectly. Like, um, and, I, you know, I think like that is storytelling is a way of, you know, connecting with other people, being other places, understanding people that are different than ourselves, and recognizing what connects us to, mm. you know, hopes, dreams, ideals, um, values, uh, politics, ideology, faith, yeah, family, betrayal, 
Yeah, I think what, I mean, I was going to say, I think what is so wonderful about this book, there are so many things that are so wonderful about this book, yeah. but is how I feel I know each of these five characters. And I think that's amazing, especially for a book that is primarily written in third person, yeah. that you feel so connected when they're not telling you exactly how they feel. But she is so wonderful at intricately painting their, their facial expressions and yeah. the little things that they do that shows how they feel inside. Uh, and I, I, I said to Fatima for the first time in like a year, I was like, do you know where Amar is? Yeah. How is Amar doing? You know, because she's created these characters that are very real mm. and you care about them and you think about them and you're, you're really, like, like you said, you are, you are, they are brought into our lives as the reader. This family, and I think it's so true for a lot of families, they are so terrible wonderfully terrible at yeah. communicating with yeah. each other and they think that everything that they do is to help others in the family and it backfires in in whatever way it's all about the tiny things that we do that mm -hmm. we think won't have any massive implications and then they do and we can't really talk about specifics because spoilers but um no there's so many things yeah. i wanted to say just now and i was like no 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 no, no, no. That. let the reader experience that for themselves and there's a scene where um, their dad is outside and no, no, he's talking about being outside and looking up at the sky. It's towards the end of the book. And he says, I always taught my children to look up at the sky. You're going to make me cry. I know, I'm going to cry too. We're not going to have to <laughs> have to not look at each other. <laughs> um, and I hope that they do that and I hope that they've remembered that. And we have read this whole book where there have been moments where the children have, I'm going to start crying, individually looked up at the sky. And there's a moment where I think it's Hadia. She's looking up at the sky and she sees these two planes and they just miss each other and that's essentially what the family members are doing all the time, all the time is yeah. missing each other if you were going to pitch it to someone how would you pitch it oh, i'm the worst i've got to get better <laughs> at this i guess one way of describing its incredibly sort of breathtaking in scope story is that it's it's about an american family and that's surprising in a way when the reader opens the book and discovers who this american family is but you know, an American family in all its plurality. Um, it is an Indian Muslim American family, an Indian American Muslim family. Um, the children are first generation born. It's um, a family with um, parents that are people of faith. They're observant. Their culture plays a huge role in the way they see the world, their worldview, and how they're wanting to raise their children. And they have birthed three really bright, interesting curious children who have questions mm. about the world and about themselves and their own relationship to faith and culture and they are loyal and loving children so they are in this wonderful conflict of pursuing their own path and um and being respectful of the parents provenance and i mean that in all ways and it's a story about you know how this family finds its way in a time in, a, in our country where um, faith and the color of your skin and what people project onto you is more and more in conversation. Um, the book happens to, and this is really not, it doesn't feel purposeful at all, but it does. Um, there is a point in the book where the events of September 11th um, factor. And it's just incredibly interesting to see 
how this family is affected by those events, how it makes them feel in their community, how the children feel. But it's really a book about an American family mm. um, trying to find their way, and it's incredibly complex, and it's also incredibly simple yeah. because it's about love and betrayal and um, and um, a, a search for yourself. I think we better, yeah, we oh, had really? better, That's yeah. so sad. This keeps <laughs> happening. Oh, man. Thank you so much for talking about this book and for introducing it to it. I'm so glad that I got to read it. It's oh, brilliant. I'm so thrilled to hear your reaction, and, yeah. I, and I hope your audience, your devoted audience, um, you know, finds a way to this book and has the experience that you and I have. I think they're, if they do, they're in for a really special reading experience. Yeah, and absolutely. I think... We will not. We will not forget the name Fatima Farin Mirza anytime mm. soon, nor her characters. No, absolutely not. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode has captured your interest about a place for us, watch out for the next episode because we're going to be dropping an interview with Fatima imminently. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. Thank you so much for listening. Share this podcast with a bookish friend if you liked it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Vintage Books. And until next time. 